0: This is Finding Center, a daily half-hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Our Divine Defense. Dennis L. Largi, a BYU associate professor of ancient scripture at the time this devotional was given, will give his talk entitled The Armor of Light, Romans chapter 13, verse 12.
1: I want you to know that I've pray to Heavenly Father that I might say something that would be helpful in some way to you. I would like to speak about a great robbery that is taking place among us. It is of more consequence than any theft in history. The thief is Satan, and his objective is to rob us of light. Lucifer does not want to steal light for himself. He wants to steal light because it is the presence of light by which he can be defeated. Since Satan abhors light and avoids its presence, and since he cannot conventionally steal light against one's will, his efforts and temptations are designed to entice his targets to voluntarily yield it up that he might more freely and effectively carry out his destructive plans. Doctrine and Covenants, section 93, verses 36, 37, and 39 teaches The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. Light and truth forsake that evil one, and that wicked one cometh and taketh away light and truth through disobedience from the children of men. End of quote. Satan steals light from us through our own disobedience. Why is light so valuable and its loss so devastating? The revelations of the Restoration contribute much to our understanding about light. The analogies I will use this morning are based upon scriptures that refer to light as Spirit, as truth, or as the power of God. Having light is evidence that Jesus Christ is part of our lives. His truth, His Spirit, His power inspires, motivates, comforts, capacitates, and protects. An abundance of light in a person's life is manifested by virtues such as faith, hope, charity, patience, kindness, and humility. Outward signs of light are easy to recognize. Respect, dependability, dedication to duty, modesty, obedience, and reverence for the things of God. When light is diminished in our lives, motivation towards spiritual things also diminishes to one degree or another. We are less exact in our commandment-keeping and less dedicated to activities such as home teaching, church attendance, temple attendance, scriptures, prayers— the very things that intensify light in our lives. With insufficient light, we are more susceptible to temptation. And like a plant without the nourishment of the light of the sun, without the nourishment of the light of the Son of God, we can also weaken and shrivel and eventually die spiritually. We call people who have an abundance of this light spiritual. Jesus Christ is the light and life of the world. Spiritual people are those who strive always to have His Spirit to be with them, reflect the light of Jesus Christ in their lives and in their countenances. I love senior citizens in the Church—those who have been sanctified through continued righteousness over time. Their countenances reflect a life well lived. Having learned to walk in the light, their lives have become a reflection of that light. This is clearly evident in the radiance of those who give significant time to temple service. I enjoy observing the wonderful ladies who work in the temple. Have you ever noticed that they seem to float across the carpet instead of walk? And what about the brilliance of those celestial hairdos? Light is like a protective shield that can withstand the fiery darts of the adversary. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. End of quote. To put on the armor of light is to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light and life of the world. This light, his light, forsakes the evil one. Two examples. As I read this familiar story, listen closely and try to discern at what particular point darkness was defeated. After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, Having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction but exerting all of my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction—not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world, who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared that I found myself delivered from the enemy which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son. Hear him. In the sacred grove, darkness left young Joseph Smith when the light first appeared. Example 2. When I was in graduate school, I asked one of my classmates to take the missionary discussions. He did not join the church at that time, and I moved back to Arizona. When I came back for another summer school session, I learned that although he had not been baptized, he had been going to church for the entire year that I had been away. One evening I got a call from him requesting that we meet in the bleachers of the Smith Fieldhouse. He was puzzled over something that had just occurred. A few years previous, my friend had seen a movie, which was a graphic, R-rated movie on the subject of demonic possession. Now a friend had asked him to see the sequel to the movie, and the suggestion to see the second movie had brought back vivid memories of the content of the first movie, which he at the time had thought little about. But now a few years later, and after a year's worth of church attendance, things were somehow different. He went to bed but could not stop thinking about the movie. He became extremely nervous and began sweating profusely. Finally, at about 2 a.m., he reached over to his nightstand and picked up his copy of the Book of Mormon and started to read. He said that as he read, the nervousness went away and he calmed down and was able to fall asleep. Well, his purpose for our meeting was to ask me if I could explain what had happened to him. You can imagine that I was most eager to do so. I testified to him that the Book of Mormon was true, and that the light contained within its pages chased away the darkness that he was experiencing as he reflected on the evil content within the movie. Again, light forsakes the evil one. Brothers and sisters, light can increase or decrease according to what we desire, what we think, and what we do. Nephi taught, For behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. And blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts and lend an ear unto my counsels. For they shall learn wisdom, for unto him that receiveth I will give more, and from them that shall say we have enough, from them shall be taken even that which they have. End of quote. The principle that we receive more and more from God according to our continued obedience is true of light. The Lord declared, That which is of God is light. And he that receiveth light and continueth in God receiveth more light. And that light groweth brighter and brighter until the perfect day. This same truth can also work in reverse. People lose light line upon line. Sin upon sin, here a little and there a little. While each ray of lost light can be almost imperceptible to a person at the time, the aggregate or cumulative loss that has taken place over time puts one in grave danger. The spiritual immune system becomes depleted, and when the going gets tough, the ones tough cannot get going because there is little to reach down and draw from for strength and power. The story is told of an Eskimo who was losing his meat to a crafty wolf. One day the Eskimo took his razor-sharp knife and placed it blade up in the snow. He then put a big piece of meat on top of the blade so that all the wolf would see was the meat. The wolf came and began enjoying the easy meal. The meat was so delicious that he didn't notice that as he was licking and biting, he was cutting his own tongue on the knife. The wolf was literally drinking his own blood, which continued until he became so weak that he froze to death. As in the story of the Eskimos, Satan tempts us with alluring distractions and circumstances which may appear on the surface to be harmless. But as we partake, the light slowly dissipates until we become weak and in serious spiritual trouble. President Kimball taught that transgression wears elegant gowns. It begins tiny and grows to monumental proportions. It grows drop by drop, inch by inch. When we lose light, Satan has effectively neutralized us. He has taken us out of the battle, or we have allowed ourselves to be taken out of the battle. The armies of the Lord cannot be defeated. But they can defeat themselves. For example, in the Old Testament, there is a story about a man named Achan whose disobedience brought defeat to Israel's army. In the victorious battle against Jericho, he had taken an object from the enemy that God identified as accursed. The next battle against the city of Ai was supposed to be easy, yet Israel met with a humiliating defeat in response to Joshua's plea to know why they had been defeated. The Lord revealed the disobedience of this Israelite soldier in taking from the spoils of Jericho a forbidden or a cursed object. This disobedience robbed the Israelites of the power needed to stand against its enemies. This story has universal application. For just as Israel lost power and protection, we also lose power and protection when we entertain forbidden thoughts, harbor evil desires or engage in activities that are prohibited by God. Maintaining light is like staying spiritually in shape so that when the test comes we can meet it. A person who slowly drifts over time into poor physical shape does not fully appreciate that fact until a test arises that requires great physical exertion. The test or trial clearly exposes the lack of capacity. A colleague of mine observed that it is the storm that reveals the importance of having your house built on rock and not on sand. It is common in our homes to have both 220 and 110 power. Dryers and ovens typically operate on 220 power, while all other devices require 110 power. A dryer or oven would not work effectively on 110 power. Sometimes electrical problems cause what is known as a brownout. Electrical power is still present but not sufficient to handle the load requirement. By way of analogy, compare 220 power to the power required to stand up to the challenges and temptations of latter-day life, and compare 110 power to the power which enables us to live, move, attend school, and function but which is insufficient when we are faced with the kinds of temptations that surround us. When we fail to maintain light in our lives, we fail to maintain necessary power levels. We slip into a spiritual brownout, so to speak, placing ourselves in a dangerous, weakened position with less strength to resist temptation. Concerning Satan's tactics, Nephi wrote, "...and others will he pacify." And lull them away into carnal security, that they will say, All is well in Zion. Yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. End of quote. The all is well in Zion way of discipleship is like this spiritual brownout. It says, I can be laid back in the church. I can skip my personal prayers, indulge in borderline entertainment, skip some meetings, and sidestep full-hearted service. In essence, I can run at 110 power, and all is well. Brothers and sisters, I testify that this is simply not true. As Nephi said, thus the devil cheateth their souls. We have been blindsided by our own inattention to duty and devotion to God. Over time— we've lost a significant measure of what we also desperately need—the light, the Spirit, the power of God. We have been carefully weakened so that when a 220 test comes, we fail because we only possess 110 power. As a campus bishop, I saw this consequence result over and over in regard to serious sin. Invariably, those in trouble had suffered losses before the bigger loss had occurred. And it was those preparatory losses that set up the bigger fall. There is no little loss of light that is insignificant. No little loss of light without the potential of becoming a major breach to the brightness of our armor. As Latter-day Saints, we are blessed with the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have no excuse, as the scriptures state, to walk in darkness at noonday. Doctrine and Covenants 82.3 reads, He who sins against the greater light shall receive the greater condemnation. End of quote. One temptation that seems to be a challenge for all of us is the temptation to play both sides of the fence. We select some things in the church that we like and some things of the world that we like, and we try to settle in and get comfortable with the mix. Some want to partake of the fruit of the tree of life and also party in the great and spacious building. The Apostle James said, A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Jesus taught, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. End of quote. Just as a farmer who looks back cannot plow a straight furrow, Neither can a disciple walk on the straight and narrow path for an extended period with split loyalties. Lot's wife was punished for her disobedience in looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah. Although her feet were pointed away from the city, perhaps her real problem was that her heart remained within it. Our feet as well as our heart need to be on the gospel path. I'd like to issue a challenge to everyone here today. Sometime today, take a piece of paper and divide it into two halves. On the right side, list things that could intensify light in your life. Temple attendance, attendance at all Sunday meetings, scriptures, prayers, repentance, service, and so forth. On the left side, list things that you think, desire, do, say, view, or even places that you might go. That could diminish light from your life. Then ask yourself, in all honesty, how can I improve on those things that intensify light, and what can I do or simply let go of which takes light away? As in the story of Achan, what accursed things do I do, say, think, or hold on to that drain my power? This list can be compared to a dimmer switch which controls the intensity of light within our homes. Turn the dial to the right, and the light increases. Turn the dial to the left, and the light dims. The decision as to which way we turn the dial is up to us. Remember that this is not a balance sheet where the seven good things on the right side cancel out the five bad things on the left side and leaves me with two positives. If that was possible, I might reason. I can continue with the five things that take light away because I can easily counterbalance them and still come out on top. Somehow feeling safe because of a balancing of the two is spiritually dangerous. The bad things we choose weaken the system so that sometimes we are unable to fully compensate by choosing good. In fact, the consequence of choosing bad over time is that the good doesn't seem so good anymore. As more and more bad things are chosen, they become more and more desirable and seem less and less wrong. Another consequence of choices that rob us of light is that we don't discern the good as clearly, and that leaves the possibility of delving deeper and deeper into the bad. When you're in the darkness, your eyes adjust, and it soon doesn't look dark anymore. So, too, can we adjust to dark deeds and actually acquire a taste for the bad. We cannot willingly keep taking the poison without consequence. God will not be mocked, for as we sow, so shall we reap. As we sow light, we receive light. As we sow disobedience, we reap darkness. Jesus taught, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thy eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? As you try this challenge, you might find that you don't really have many things on the left side that cause a loss of light, but that you could add more things on the right side that would bring more of God's light into your life. Sometimes the critical issue is not commission of light robbing activities, but serious omissions. Of light bringing deeds. In connection with this challenge, consider striving to make your living areas places where God's light can shine unobstructed. I currently serve in a branch presidency at the Missionary Training Center. The Missionary Training Center is a place where the Lord's light shines brightly. It is hard to go there and not feel the presence of the Holy Ghost. There are no questionable pictures on the walls. No music with suggestive lyrics, and no entertainment that compromises standards. The missionaries are trying hard to avoid the coarse, the unclean, and the vulgar. Christ and service to Christ is at the center. In this environment, learning soars, and missionaries are often heard to say, I have never felt the Spirit so often or so intensely. Although we are not full-time missionaries with that central focus, we can join together with our roommates or spouses and agree to cultivate an environment of light in our dormitories or apartments. As are the missionaries, we also can be Christ-centered, and we also can eliminate those things of the world that dim God's light. By doing so, we can enjoy the blessings associated with increased light. Living in an environment of light will have many advantages for you at this time in your life. You are searching for important answers to critical questions. It is always easier to find what we are looking for when the light is on. Doctrinally, it is as simple as this. The closer we are to the light, the more we can see. The further we step away from the light, the less we can see. And we need to be able to see clearly. In a devotional assembly, President Bateman told students, You stand at a critical juncture in life. You've just crossed the threshold into adulthood. Your dreams and choices will determine not only your future, but the destiny of untold generations to come. In connection with this, he asked the question, Are you living worthy to experience the light that the Lord wishes to bestow upon you? End of quote. I'd like to close with an observation by Elder Glenn Pace of the First Quorum of the Seventy. Many of us take the blessings of the gospel for granted. It is as if we are passengers on the train of the Church, which has been moving forward gradually and methodically. Sometimes we've looked out the window and thought, That looks kind of fun out there. This train is so restrictive. So we've jumped off and gone and played in the woods for a while. Sooner or later, we find it isn't as much fun as Lucifer makes it appear, or we get critically injured. So we work our way back to the tracks and see the train ahead. With a determined sprint, we catch up to it breathlessly, wipe the perspiration from our forehead, and thank the Lord for repentance. While on the train, we can see the world and some of our own members outside laughing and having a great time. They taunt us and coax us to get off. Some throw logs and rocks on the tracks to try to derail it. Other members run alongside the tracks, and while they may never go play in the woods, they just can't seem to get on the train. Others try to run ahead and too often take the wrong turn. I would propose that the luxury of getting on and off the train as we please is fading. The speed of the train is increasing, the woods are getting much too dangerous. And the fog and darkness are moving in. With all the prophecies we've seen fulfilled, what great event are we awaiting prior to saying, Count on me? What more do we need to see or experience before we get on the train and stay on the train until we reach our destination? It is time for a spiritual revival. It is time to dig down deep within ourselves and rekindle our own light. End of quote. May each of us dig down deep and do what is necessary to intensify light in our life. May we also guard against its theft. Jesus said, But know this, if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to have been broken up, but would have been ready We are the good men and women of the house. Lucifer is the thief, diligently, patiently, and carefully seeking to break up our house or to destroy our souls. May we watch and be ready. I testify that I know that the things I've taught today are true. I pray that we might maintain the brightness of our armor, the armor of light, by consistently coming unto the light, even Jesus Christ, who is the light. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Our Divine Defense. Dennis L. Largi gave his devotional entitled The Armor of Light, Romans chapter 13, verse 12. Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU Radio app, available wherever you get your apps.